This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. And today my guest is Mr. Michael Dunnan. Uh, Michael is the founder of two Polish watch brands. One is a historic theme brand with his Chopin watches. And another one is a little bit of a mix between sort of history and some modern elements. And that's, I want to pronounce it correctly, uh, Buonia. So Michael, hello. Hi, Ariel. Uh, thanks a lot for the invite. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to our talk. You may be the first person from the the sort of Polish side of the watch industry to be on the show, and I, I personally have not been to Poland, even though I probably I think I have uh, some percentage of Polish blood in me. But I have to say that at watch shows, there's always um, some people from Poland there, whether it's media or watch lovers or watchmakers. Maybe you could just sort of give everyone a very quick you know, summary of what the, what is the, the, the watch industry in Poland like now? And then maybe historically, what, what, you know, what history does Poland have with traditional watchmaking? Sure, uh, I'd love to. I mean, of course, uh, we're, we're as interested in watches here in Poland as, as anyone else in, in Central, uh, Central Europe. And, you know, it's, it's a big subject with dedicated media, as, as you've mentioned, and magazines Absolutely. going out and blogs and so on. So from a, a media side and consumer side, it's a developed market. Everyone talks about watches. However, from a production side and brand side, it, that does not look that way. I mean, uh, we have several independent brands, several small brands, and, and Buonia is one of them. Uh, and I'll go into the history in a minute. But we also have a, a few brands, and, and they've all popped up over the last uh, decade, basically, such as Shikor, Polpora, uh, or Balticus watches. And they're all micro-brand producers who, uh, well, in, in, the, in the end, do very little in-house uh, as, as producers. It's, it's kind of like America, you know? Well, I guess we have a couple of big companies here. Um, you know, you'd have like Timex, and you'd have Fossil, and you'd have mm. Movado. But we don't have any of the major luxury brands here, but we have a thriving economy of micro brands. And it seems like it's a little bit of the same thing there. Uh, I think so. I mean, a lot of these brands or a few of these brands are, are trying to develop in-house capabilities. Most, most of us, because well, we, we know each other very well. We meet at uh, you know, all types of conferences. And we've actually released a children's book uh, together uh, last year. With Wait, you released a children's people. book? About what? Uh, well... It, I'm sure you've seen this uh, this book that that was uh, was like an Instagram sen sensation for some time. I think it's okay. called R R for Rolex or something like that, where you had these uh, <laughs> it's for kids, these, huh? Yeah, exactly. You had these brands under each letter of the alphabet. Well, well, that kind of inspired me, and I thought, all right, that that's really cool for a kid to to get to know the brands, but it's not great for a kid to get to know watchmaking that way because it's all brands. So, uh, well, it's a book in Polish that, that I, I wrote and I had a friend uh, draw up uh, the, the pictures. And we have all the letters of the alphabet, but instead of brands, you have elements of a watch. And uh, so it's all the elements from A to Z. And then at the end, you have a, a dictionary for parents to explain what each of these elements are. And this is something <laughs> we did together with all the, all the Polish uh, brands together. 
Uh, this, this doesn't come in English. This this children's book about watchmaking is just in Polish. It's just in Polish. That's true. <laughs> it, you know, it's funny though because it goes back to this larger idea of how do you spread your watch love around to the people around you. And you know, the traditional thing is if a guy is into watches, he wants to get his wife or his girlfriend into it. Yeah. But now it's at the point where you know they need to get the kids into it. And I have a theory. I want your opinion here, but I have a theory of why this is so important. You know, we buy all these watches, we collect all these watches, and you know, I know there's a big, you know, big to do about watch values, but the reality is most yeah. people never sell their watches, and the, and and who's going to get most people's watches? Their kids, and <laughs> and so many people are worried. Just just go with me here, Michael. They're worried that they have these children that are going to acquire sometimes dozens, if not hundreds, of watches. And what if these children don't like or let alone appreciate these watches? They would they would get rid of them. They would mistreat them. So I think that there's this big untapped market for making people feel like they can pass down their watches to someone that might care about them, right? That's what this is about. I absolutely agree. I have a three-year-old son, and, and that inspired me to write the children's book. because I have I a four-year-old, so I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I wanted him to be involved in, 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 in uh, the passion for watches, and, and he was too young to, uh, to sit with the watches themselves. So that's why we wrote the children's book in a way. And now he's, he's very much into, into the watches and helps me wind them and chooses which watch I wear to work. So, so that's really cool, but I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, that, that would be terrible for me <laughs> if I, you know, I'm already buying watches with uh, his, his uh, date of birth and so on. It would be so terrible. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 is it for you or is it for him? Well, I think it's an excuse, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's an excuse to buy a watch, but uh, in the end, you know, I, I'd love it if he uh, appreciates them um, as much as I do. That would be great. I, okay. So here's what I've been doing. I've been exposing my son to watches. Of course, they're around the house. They're, you know, it's going to happen. But I've never been like, you need to like this. I never forced him to wear it. In fact, he doesn't want to wear watches. He has, you know, like kids' watches. Huh. I'm just trying to be really gentle. I'm trying to show him like, daddy likes it. Daddy thinks it's cool. And, you know, when you're ready. And he says, he says, when I'm ready, he's like, I'd like that someday. It's like you can tell that he's interested, but the lack of pressure makes him not feel annoyed. Because that's what we see sometimes, right? We see some parents, like some dads are like, okay, son, you're going to be into watches. There's no, yeah. you have no choice. It's going to happen. You better be into this. And, and you know, kids, they, they naturally want to rebel from what their parents are doing. Yeah, you can't make it a chore. You can't make it a chore. And, and definitely, you know, I don't, I don't pull him out of bed and say, you choose the watch I'm going to wear today. <laughs> if he doesn't want to do it, he, he won't do it. But I absolutely agree with you. There has to be, I, I mean, uh, the watch, the watch industry, there's, there's so many watches and I'm sure everyone can choose their own path. It doesn't have to be the same path as, as what I like, but, uh, but you know, uh, Everyone has their own sensitivity when it comes to what they like. So, so I guess it's all about uh, giving giving uh, your children the opportunity to to choose their own path in, in you, watch making or in watch collecting. Yeah, we'll talk. Maybe we'll talk more about. That. I'm changing the topic now back to the brands, and I'm asking myself: Did you start the watch brands to sell to other watch lovers in Poland, or was your idea to sell to other people that might find sort of a romantic quality about it? 
All right, bear with me because because this is a, a story that's going to take a few minutes, but I have to put some. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, so I, I I actually work in the digital marketing industry, and I have an agency that I founded uh, 12 years ago, which is a digital agency, a social media agency, uh, and I worked in PR before that, and uh, okay. the agency took off quite well. However, uh, me and uh, the co-founder of our agency, we had the problem that we were. We weren't producing anything, you know, it was very difficult for us to explain to our uh, grandmas and so on what we were actually doing. And and we had this, of course, I, I, I like digital marketing. However, it's not something that, you know, is going to be interesting for someone 20 years from now. And we were looking for, uh, for a way to use uh, our skills, our, our digital and marketing skills uh, in a way that uh, we could have a, a product, something that we could passed down something that we could uh, show off and so on. So you're uh, helping yes. all these other companies make money with products. And you're like, wait a minute, I should be doing this as well. Well, I, I think we were making money with the agency. It was more of, of something that we could just have fun with. And Yeah, because uh, you, you know how to market. And you're like, yeah. if only I had a product to sell. Exactly. So we actually went into other stuff than, than watches. We went into uh, things for gamers and so on. But okay. in the meantime... I was I was developing a passion for watches independently. Uh, when I was uh, when I was studying a few years before I, I set up the agency, I would buy uh, Russian uh, Raketa watches and Vostok okay. watches. Okay, so some of those I, are so much fun, aren't they? And you probably yeah. had a lot of them where you were. Exactly, you could you could get these for like you know twelve euro, fifteen fifteen euro at, yeah. at the market, especially if they were run down. And I would try to take them apart. Uh, put them together and so on. And, you know, 90% of these watches were, were never put back together again. However, th that was uh, a way for me to spend time. And I, I found it uh, very interesting. I was always very interested in mechanical things. So so motorcycles and watches were always always my thing. And then at, at one point, I actually said to Maciej, so, so the co-founder, uh, you know what, uh, perhaps, you know, we're not having as much fun with this with this production and, and these brands that we're creating as we should. How about we go into watches? Because that's something I feel passionate about. And it's something that I won't really treat as a job. It'll be something that uh, that I think would be really, really cool. So so we decided to do that, but not, uh, not with Buonia. So we decided that we want to go into watches, but we didn't have a brand. We didn't have an idea yet. So the first thing I did was a lot of market research, started reading uh, up about watchmaking uh, in Poland. So what, what year was this? I'm just trying to get some context here. This was 2010, 2000, between 2010 and 2012. Okay, okay. And that's when you were, this is, this is sort of the backstory of Chopin, right? Uh, this is the backstory of Buonia. Of oh, that, that, did that happen first? Yeah, that happened first. Okay, so, okay. So, so I was reading up uh, on uh, on. Polish watchmaking and watchmaking in general. And uh, I did not know, in fact, that a lot of these watches I bought with, you know, uh, romantic Polish names such as Polan or Lech uh, or Zodiac were produced in the same factory, which was the Bonia factory, the only, uh, the only factory to have ever mass produced watches in Poland. So when I got into that, I found that terribly interesting, uh, read, read a few books uh, on that and uh, went to Machi and said, listen, you know, this is, this is the only way to go. 
Borne is the only historic watchmaking company. It has a lot of uh, it has a lot of things that we can take from take uh, from the brand when it comes to design, when it comes to uh, know how and so on. But of course, we had the the problem of rights. So you can't just you know revive uh, a long lost brand without stepping on someone's toes. <laughs> in short, so uh, what was the brand for sale? No, it, it, it actually it went bankrupt in something like uh, early nineties, early nineteen nineties. However, it had not produced watches from the sixties. So the history was that in nineteen fifty six, the decision was made that uh, watches would be produced. So a central government decision was made that watches were to be produced in the town of Buonia. So this is the, the name of a town, Buonia, which is just okay. uh, 30 kilometers outside of Warsaw, uh, that watches, wristwatches um, and, and so on, speedometers would be produced in the town of, uh, of Buonia. And by 1958, uh, the debut of the first watch was made in the uh, in Poznan at a very big fair. So from 1958 till 1968, watches were produced in Bonia, 1.2 million watches to be exact. And I think that's an interesting number because it really puts into into context how big of a factory it was. I mean, 1.2 million watches is is really a lot. And these yeah, were uh, made. Uh, these were made on um, a license bought from the USSR, and movements that were sent in, uh, or elements that were sent in of movements from uh, from uh, Russian factories. And did you ever buy these watches, the old ones? You said you were buying some stuff at flea markets. Yeah, and I, things. I was buying them, but I, you know, on, on the watch faces, you went, you went, you always have worn it. You would have other. They would have oh. subbrands or models. So it's kind of like the it's kind of like the watches that came out came out of Glashütte in Germany from the from the Soviet era. They didn't say they had all kinds of names on them and stuff. Exactly. So so this was the case. I I, I didn't know. I didn't realize. Uh, I, I was uh, an amateur back then that these were all made in the same factory. They of course had similarities, like the same case shape or a very similar case shape, but that didn't mean anything in the fifties and sixties. You know, people, all kinds of brands had very similar cases. Well, there's, no, there's like, no internet. You couldn't, you couldn't like see the watch of someone across the ocean and be like, wait a minute, you have the same case as me. Like <laughs> brands got away with so many things that they could never get away with today. That's true. So uh, in 1968, uh, uh, production was halted. And there's there's several theories on why production stopped because 1.2 million watches, that's a lot of watches. And, you know, they were they were quite uh, successful here in Poland. Uh, of course, it, people dreamed of having a Doxa or, uh, or, you know, an Atlantic watch, but uh, most people had a Bonia, a Bonia watch and, and everyone has an uncle. No, or so that's interesting. So you said Doxa, and yeah. Atlantic that, you know, our, our brands that people know, especially Doxina, but it's not seen as like top, top stuff. Like, so tell me more about the, I guess you'll call it the aspirational watches that were present in the Polish market at the time. We, uh, in the 1950s and 60s, the only people that would have, uh, you know, Swiss made watches uh, or, uh, or German made watches were people who had the opportunity of trading outside of the Iron Curtain. So they were basically oh, a, a, status, a status simple. 
a, a status symbol. If you could right. afford a, a Doxa watch, which was very popular at that time, or an Atlantic watch, I'm not I'm not talking about a Rolex. <laughs> you know, uh, that was a status symbol. Most people had either Polish-made watches, Bonia watches, or Russian-made watches. So, so, what are the what are the status watches in Warsaw right now? What's going to get you a lot of respect? No, I, I mean the market is so global right now that you know the Nautilus rules everything. I guess so it's I mean, all the same. It's all the same stuff. There's nothing. That, yeah. That's the sucky thing about Instagram. There's no more local flavor anymore. That's true. That's absolutely true. Uh, but in the sixties, there there was. So, yeah, like I want to go to Poland mm-hmm. and just and see people and be like, oh my god! Like I remember when I first started going to Hong Kong, and I remember seeing something I never thought I would see before, and that was men wearing business attire and suits and things like that, wearing what in the United States would be considered a women's watch, like actually marketed as a women's watch, like wearing like women's Rolex watches with floral dials and things like mm-hmm. that. And I I just remember being, I, I kind of loved how weird and exotic it was. You know what I mean? Like this would never fly where I live. It was so different. It was so special. It was so cool. And now I feel that, that that's mainly gone away because if you like watches, you're going to look at the pictures on Instagram and you're going to feel weird about wearing something that maybe not everyone else does. But you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I actually, uh, I agree 100%. I mean, the symbolicism is a bit different or was a bit different, I guess, in, in Hong Kong a few years back. But now everything's so generic in that aspect. I mean, I'm a, I am love a Mother of Pearl dials. Me too. I, I absolutely adore it. And, Me you know, too. that would be cons- considered uh, something that would be in a woman's watch 90% of the time. Yeah, but, you know, there's a small group of guys like you and me, and I always like to say his name, uh, Ray Grennan from Grennan's of Newport in Rhode Island, who like men's watches with mother pearl dials, sometimes diamonds around the bezel, you know, it, it can happen, <laughs> but like, it's cool, right? Like, it can happen, but we are definitely the minority. Like, we know that we should hang oh. out with one another because there's not that many of us, but there's nothing weird about us. I mean, I... I, I... I think it comes with collecting watches as well, that you want some of them to stick out and you want to have a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of your own flavor. I actually uh, have a 34 millimeter gold uh, date just that I put a second, second, second. Do you know the, the French uh, watch hand producer? He's like... An yeah, yeah, I know the guy. He makes a little, uh, yeah. he colors them and it looks like pixelated, little things like that. I, I I put uh, a sword hand for for the hour marker from him onto the okay. watch, and I I posted on Instagram, and and nine out of ten of my watch buddies were like, "Oh my god, you ruined the watch!" <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I was so surprised, you know. Uh, Which is funny so, because if you do it with like a Seiko, they're like, "Oh wow, you made a really cool watch." It's yeah, like so yeah. context specific. But uh, I actually love it, and I love uh, I love the way he communicates. I think he's uh, he's an absolute artist. Yeah. So you're so you have you have what I would call some avant-garde taste, which is good. I'm the same way. How does that translate into the watches that you've you've made today at Bonnier? Well, with Bonnier, uh, if you don't mind, I, I'll go back a few steps on how how we got to Bonnier. Okay, you're right. I, you're right. I, I, I never said that, and I think that that will put what I'll say next into context. So uh, so production was shut down in 1968, and some people say that was done for political reasons. Others say that it was done for economic reasons, and they went into 
uh, producing printers and then uh, putting together computers. And then they went bankrupt in the early, uh, early 90s. So uh, we contacted a lawyer and checked uh, how we could get the rights to the Borne brand checked the patent office and so on. And the situation was very difficult since uh, since Borne is also the name of, of a town that even if we got into touch with the people who uh, who in the end bought the brand or, or, or uh, acquired it because uh, Borne owed money to someone and so on, we still wouldn't be able to produce without the town saying that it's, it's fine for us to... Oh, interesting, interesting. Name. So we, we approached uh, the mayor of, of Borne, which is a town that now has, I, I, I'm guessing, around forty to 50,000 uh, people. Oh, small place. Yeah, it's, it's a small place. And, and we started talking to him about, uh, about Borne. It turns out the mayor now was actually the head of production in the 60s and 70s of Borne watches and then, and then printers. Wow. So very much into the subject and was very excited about us coming along and talking about it. But he also said, guys, be careful, because for Borne, watchmaking and the Borne watches is something that is a bit of a legend here and that we're incredibly proud of. So you need to be very careful on how you use the, the brand name and how you communicate. And uh, I'm not going to help you get the brand name. You have to convince the town. So we went back and we're like, wow, <laughs> that's a bit of a challenge. And we actually, so you need, now you needed to engage in a political campaign. You didn't think you were signing up for that. Yeah, we actually did. So we knew that, you know, the 220-somethings coming along, uh, along to the town hall, making uh, an open meeting and saying, guys, we're going to produce legendary Borneo watches. We just get laughed out of the place. So we actually decided to invest and uh, we produced a prototype. We got uh, a brand brand drawn up by one of the most famous calligraphers here in, in, in Poland, uh, Adam. Oh, Kodetsky. like the, the, for the logo, you mean? Yeah, yeah, for the logo. It's a nice, it's a nice logo. Uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, we, we produced a prototype of the of our first watch, the Zodiac, and that took us two years. And then in 2014, because uh, we wanted to make our own case design, we didn't want to go with a catalog case. And uh, that, that was a lot more challenging that, that, than we thought because we had no prior experience to that. And we so did they in, ask where were the watch was made? Uh, the, the, the townsfolk? Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, okay. So, so, so we, you know, we went through all the steps, all, all the CAD design, making sure everything's uh, waterproof. And then when we had the first prototype, we, we did an open meeting with the town in 2014 with the mayor there, with all of the... Uh, a town council there and around a hundred people from the town and they could ask us any questions they wanted to. And we presented. So what was that like? That sounds like an incredible experience. It was, we were, I was very stressed. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, but uh, in the end they loved it. And uh, the town council unanimously gave us the rights to the brand. That, that uh, seems like it would have taken so much time. It's like a whole hobby. You know, you have to make a presentation and a watch and you have to go there and do like, like, so like, that's like a whole other job. Well, yeah, that's why it took two years. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. There. And, uh, and that, that was awesome. That's when we, uh, we produced the first model, uh, we produced 500 pieces and they just, they, they sold out instantly. But, uh, 
what's very important for me is that we, we stay true, true to our word when it comes to, to Buonia. We, we told the, the townspeople that we wanted to be very involved in the town and, uh, you know, make sure that uh, the history is not forgotten. So, uh, first of all, uh, last year, uh, we put up uh, a monument in the town square of a watch, which is made out of bronze and, uh, and stone. And it's like one and a half meters high. To, to you're really, you're really investing in this little city. It's kind of charming. It, it is. You can, you can get, you can get Bonya watches at, uh, at uh, the town square. You know, not, actually, you know, Michael, not everyone has adopted a city like you. This is a, you know, this is a special thing. <laughs> well, you know, it works both ways because they, they, they love us there. Uh, they really do. And we, 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 of course, donated watch number 001 to the town hall. And this is my favorite part of the story. It actually stands in the main, main uh, chamber of the town hall. And that's the chamber where people uh, get married. So that's where the mayor, you know, uh, <laughs> bestows, like, I, I, I'm, I'm lacking <laughs> a word in English. So people actually get married next to the Buonia watch. <laughs> so let me get this straight. Most people in town think that they hired a fancy marketing agency in Warsaw to remake the, the, the Buonia brand when it was completely the other way around. But, you, but they got the, the, the right end of the stick here. It looks like they invested in something cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the first year was was difficult, and you know they they have these town forums, and uh, they they weren't uh, really you know they were like yeah you know we sold off our uh, our history and so on, but now now we, we get along with them just absolutely great, and and people are really proud of the watches we're making, so it's it's really cool. So do you do you hire people from the town? Do you do like modeling shoots there? Like I mean, there's so much you could do. You could have all your parties there for free. Out of uh, out of out of our four employees, two are from Bonya and they live in Bonya. Okay, so, there you go. So yeah, definitely. So, but we also we also support them in ad ad hoc ways all the time. I mean, when the local football team didn't have uh, enough money for for gear, we uh, got three watches made for them and put them up for auction, and you know they got money to to, to keep playing, and we we support all kinds of charity runs there. And every year, the uh, best uh, high school graduate, the one uh, one uh, guy and one girl, they they both get a Buonia watch of their choice. Oh wow! And we sponsor one, and the mayor sponsors the other. So I think it, you know we try to be very involved. <laughs> you know, you know, it's top. interesting. I'm thinking about this because a lot of people presume that because Europe produces you know, sort of an outsized share of luxury goods compared to other parts of the world that Europe is so, so very, very rich. And like most places in the world, a lot of places in Europe are, are quite poor. And what's mm -hmm. interesting is how much the luxury industries, Switzerland, France, Italy, Germany, Poland, actually in their own ways contribute back to the poor communities in a lot of ways through jobs and all these interesting, you know, uh, scenarios that you're talking about with the small town. So it's, I don't think a lot of people realize that. They don't realize these aren't like big companies in metropolitan cities. I mean, most, I mean, you know, most Swiss watchmakers are in tiny towns that you would mm -hmm. say are poor agrarian parts of the country. Well, with Borne, uh, I'm sure they had uh, a lot of trouble in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, uh, with, with, uh, with the biggest with the biggest factory there, which was the, the watchmaking factory right. changing, first of all, what they produced. And then in the 80s and 90s, 
turning down production. So I, I think the turning point for Borne was was the early 90s. But actually, the the mayor is uh, is a person who who's who, who who's very business oriented, and he actually made Borne the center of uh, of Polish logistics. So there's like a lot of logistics. Um, oh, okay, so they're there. being revitalized. So that's good. Yeah, so- and, and, and actually, the town is going is growing really fast, and I, I think they're doing quite quite well for a small town. That's that's fantastic. Okay, so you 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 are the honorary I don't know governor of the town. I don't know what they're no, going to give you some no, titles no. someday. <laughs> <laughs> you, that, any of the townsfolk will do your bidding. They'll vote <laughs> for you. You know, you're starting your political campaign. That's great. And so let's let's talk about the watches here because people listening, of course, they can go to the website. Mm. But tell me about your. You know, they're very artistic. I'd just like to know what you're trying to do here. Try to explain some of the themes and, you know, what's important to you here. What are you you trying to do with the brand, uh, aesthetically speaking? Well, we tried, we have three, uh, three lines, uh, I would say, within, within the Borne, three lines of products within the Borne, Borne brand. So we have the Borne Klasiczne, which is, I guess, the classic Borne, where we try to make an affordable watch. Uh, usually with uh, with a quartz movement, very much inspired by the early Borneo watches, so very clean. And we 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 this is just the affordable line, and these are always uh, available. Then we have the limited line, where we try to create uh, automatic or mechanical watches that are inspired either by Borneo watches or by Polish history. So here we made a watch uh, around the 302 squadron, which was a, a historic Polish uh, fighter uh, um, fighter jet. I, I'm lacking a word. Sorry, I don't I don't use English so much anymore. So it was. You're, it was you're actually, doing uh, pretty good. My Polish is non-existent. <laughs> it was a fighter squadron that that took part in the this battle. This is the, the BH 300 you're talking about. Yeah, the BH 300 was a was a second the second watch in, in that line. We did. Uh, W WX three hundred two. So that was Roxhall three hundred two, which was the the code name for the for the watch. I'm not sure it's up on the on the site. That was actually really interesting because we found the last living pilot, and he lived in London, uh, London, England. And we we flew over and made a pretty. Uh, we 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 told his story basically. We took a, a 20, 20 minute interview that's on our on our YouTube. Uh, well, what an amazing cool. man! So really, really, really great. The watch is pretty nifty, actually. It's it's uh, it's interesting. So who so who's designing your watches? Well, we we do a lot of the de- design in house. Uh, we have a Polish designer that we work with, Remigiusz, which is a very difficult name to say. <laughs> yeah. So no one's no one's going to poach Polish. your designer because they don't remember how to spell his name. That's smart. <laughs> so Rem, as we call him, has been working with us for six years now and designed a lot of a lot of our watches. And then, of course, I, I I tried to chip in with a few pointers as well. Okay, so okay, so this is interesting. Is this sporty classic? Um, tell me about the Poland one. This is this is a nice watch here. It has I, I you're, I'm guessing it relates to the old Poland watches. But tell me about this one. Yeah, so, so Poland is actually a watch we released last year when. We we took uh, as I mentioned a lot of these Borne watches had had different names so Polan w- was one of them and we basically redesigned that's part of that's a very classical watch we redesigned the the old Borne watch face uh, which had very very interesting uh, numerals at twelve three six and nine 
So these these were an inspiration to us. We transferred these into a, uh, I would say, a, a, a two-layer dial where uh, the, the underside is brushed and on top we, we put a second second dial so that it, it kind of... Um, uh, you, you can see the the dial that's below um, through it. So so this is a combination of of uh, what we took from a classic Borneo watch and then tried to put a modern spin on it. Even the hands, for example, are inspired by hands that were produced in in Russia at the time and very often put on Borneo Borneo watches. That's really cool. Um, and I see here there's some watches that have what appear to be like old engraved dials. I don't know exactly how these ones are produced, but they have some filigree on them. They would look like the dials of very early pocket watches. Um, I haven't seen a lot of modern stuff like that. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Tell me about that watch. What's it called and uh, what's the design all about? So, so this is our our third line. It's called Buonia Jemishunica. So impossible. Oh, so that's how it's pronounced. I was <laughs> struggling a little bit with that. So Jemishunica means... Uh, manufactured or you know handmade in a way and okay. that's that's where we're trying to go uh, we are trying to develop a few in-house capabilities ourselves and the first of these is dials so of course we have the engraved dials that you mentioned and this is hand hand engraved with with no use of machines uh, here here in our workshop or we we create a porcelain dial and that's that's something that we're very very proud of. That took us four years to develop. And oh, I see here, yeah, these colors and things. And we make our own porcelain uh, porcelain dials. Now, what is the market like for these things? Because obviously, you're inspired by luxury watches. You've mm -hmm. noticed that these are techniques that you'll find on a lot of the high-end watches. But one of the funny things that happens for entrepreneurs such as yourself is you quickly realize most of the population has no idea what this stuff is. And because of that, they don't know that they should want it. So then you have to go out and educate them about why engraved dials are cool. And then you yeah. have to say, oh, by the way, we have an engraved dial watch. Do you want it? You know, Because now you know how cool it is. You know, at what point did you realize that the education level on top of making the watches was going to be a challenge, you know, in, in, in creating and developing a, a watch brand? Well, uh, we're quite lucky when it comes to the Jemishnitra line because, uh, well, we're lucky in a way. We can only produce around one or two per month because the process is, is very time consuming. We only have, uh, as mentioned, four employees. And uh, the the porcelain uh, making process is uh, is something where we usually have to make around three or four dials uh, for one to to pass all uh, quality assurance. So uh, in in that way, we we're actually always we're almost always sold out. Okay, I see. <laughs> when it comes I see. to these these porcelain and engraved dials, because uh, once purchased, we we go through the whole process with. With the customer, it takes around half a year, and we we basically create a unique dial, and then they can choose from one of 80, 80 designs of uh, indices that are inspired by the original Buonia indices, and those are pad printed here in uh, in our workshop as well. So it's a very time consuming process, and and Jemishnitra, so the the manufacturing part of our our business is something that. That reflects more of our passion. It's not something that that we make money on. I want to make I want to make a clear point here. And you know, people often ask me about value and you know where you can go to get great craftsmanship and not pay big brand premiums. This 
collection of handcrafted watches that I'm not going to try to say the Polish word because I don't want to embarrass myself. You know, the retail price is, um, you know, if you convert to U.S. dollars, it looks to be about $2,200. Yeah, and that's, that's right. So you're getting a very high level of exclusivity, one watch a month. Um, all this customization that you're offering, this craftsmanship, which is desirable. You know, I think that that's, what the real exclusivity in the sort of artistic watch market should be like. It's companies that can't make more, not this sort of artificial exclusivity. And I know that we didn't we didn't have this conversation about artificial exclusivity, mm -hmm. but it's a larger part of the context of the conversation right now that watch lovers are having because of what we're seeing some from you know from Patek Philippe. Oh, we can only do this many steel watches. Well, we, you know they can do more. They just choose <laughs> not to. You would make more. If you could, but given a lot of circumstances, you charge a more practical price for exclusivity. This is exactly what a lot of people, you know, in my opinion, are, are actually looking for. And by definition, this should be hard to find. You shouldn't be on billboards everywhere. Uh, in, in a way, I agree. However, uh, I, I might I might be harming myself here, but <laughs> you know, we we do have to provide the right value for money. So. Uh, our dials are absolutely unique and it takes us a long time to, to do it. It took us four years to develop the porcelain dial. And that's something that we're very, very proud of. However, uh, you know, the movement that, that we have here is, is, is basically a, is a movement that we buy, that we source uh, from Swiss Technology Production, which is the Fossil Group. And yeah. uh, I mean, we're, we're very happy with them, but, but we would love to have to have an in-house movement, and a lot of brands that uh, that offer watches, you know, for for a bit more, so for 30, 40 percent more, are, are developing in-house elements to to movements. And for us to stay competitive and offer uh, a watch that's good value for money, we can't charge more, you know. You say competitive. Who wants the in-house movement? Is it you or is it the consumer? And I'm not saying there's a right or wrong answer. I'm just curious. Where do you feel the pressure is coming from? Me. <laughs> Definitely Interesting. me. I this mean, is my guess. This is my guess. But please go on. And why? I, mean, why? I, 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 I like the movement very much. And, and we, we chose it because it has a, uh, it has a swan neck regulator and the, the screws are you know heat, uh, heat blued. And it's not a movement that, that's put into a lot of watches. Is it the uh, STP 3-33? Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. Uh, and and I, I, I like it. I like it. However, you know, uh, it's it's not a movement that's unique to us. Uh, and, and that's something that I think combined with, with a unique dial, when you have a one out of one watch, that's something that I think people are going to expect or already expect. So that's definitely uh, something that I want to explore in the future. And we're already working on, on uh, custom bridges and, and things like that that we can slowly introduce into our production without uh, going crazy on the price. Uh, I mean, we, we made a pledge uh, in 2014 creating this brand that slowly, slowly we're going to try to introduce uh, elements of watchmaking back into Poland. And so far, we've done that with the dial. We've, okay. we've worked on the case 
for one and a half years now with uh, with a bit of success, but we're not happy. We're not happy yet. So that's the second element. Every part's hard to make. There's no part of a watch which is easy to do. As, yeah, especially if you if you don't want it to if if you want it to look good. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? of, and you do because it's supposed to be like the one perfect thing on your body. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's no perfection in in the biological world, but in the microcosm of a wristwatch, we can create this sort of artificial sense of per- perfection. And we and when we go that route, we demand as close to perfection as we can. And our eyes are are nasty judges, aren't they? Exactly. Uh, but but we have had some success. I mean, we've had collectors buying buying the Jamishinitro watch from from all over. Uh, we've had, we have a client in the U.S. Hi Pavo, who was our first, who was the first person to 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 buy the Jamishnitra watch outside of um, outside of uh, Poland, but we have uh, collectors buying from Austria, from Germany, and it's 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 cool to be recognized. Before we go any further, a quick announcement, and we thought we would tell you, the listeners of the podcast, all about it first. A blog to watch is hiring. We are looking for a social media manager to look after all the Instagram, Facebook comment section on the website, all the social media stuff that you can think of. So if you're interested, get your CV together and any relevant experience and email the boss man himself, Ariel, at ablogtowatch.com. We really look forward to hearing from you. So with that done, it's back to the show. Let me back up here, and I think that this is part of the larger reason that I have this show, Superlative. You had a marketing agency, mm-hmm. and you wanted to create a product that you could use your skills and your resources to help, you know, make you money. You went down this interesting avenue that other people like you have gone down. And what you end up doing is sinking a bunch of time and money into a company that is exciting, but takes years and years and is never like a crazy moneymaker in any fast way. And so it's interesting how you start with this sort of one desire and you end up doing something quite different, probably unexpected, that if someone had told you in the past, hey, Michael, I think you're going to make this watch brand and you're going to spend all this time and money and it's going to take years and years and years and you could have just been selling sunglasses or pharmaceuticals <laughs> or something and you know made all the money you wanted. It, it's kind of um, an irony. And again, you're not alone. I have seen many entrepreneurs and professionals do precisely what you've done and I, I applaud each and every one of you. But it's a fascinating thing that you end up doing nearly the opposite of what you set out to do, right? Exactly the opposite. I absolutely agree with you. And thank you for saying that. Because, uh, yeah, th- this is not a company that's that's ever going to... Uh, <laughs> we're very happy when, when, it, when we break even uh, at the end of the year. So, so that's, uh, that's the way we're going to go. If we make a profit, we put, we put it back in the company. Uh, so, so yeah, but in, at the end of the day, uh, if I sit down and I think about it, I think about the last uh, eight years maybe, uh, that, that Bonya has been on the market, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about what we've accomplished over the, the last eight years. And of course, I do know that there's brands who've, who've been around shorter and have bit bigger in-house capabilities or, or different watches, but, but in our own, uh, you know, Polish backyard, we we really are uh, very very proud of of what we've achieved, and uh, and definitely so. It's it's not a business. It's a, it's a question of passion, and uh, I try to to find a balance between uh, you know uh, 
promoting Bonya, let's say promoting Bonya and, and still staying passionate about watchmaking and other brands. Because a lot of people say that, you know, don't go into business with your hobby because you're going to hate it in the end. And a lot of people who have, who have, you know, I don't know. Loved- I'm, 50, I'm 15 years into that experiment. <laughs> so so I, I, I still love watchmaking, but I also applaud a lot of brands and I, I buy a lot of independents and I buy yeah. watches, appreciate them and talk about how much I love what other independents or even other Polish brands are doing. You, you want to know something interesting? And you're reminding me of this fact. So many people who love watches have this thing in common. In their life, either something mechanical or maybe a company or a book or an idea, they built something that took a lot of time and effort. And because in their life they they have experience building at least one complicated thing, they can look at a watch made by someone else and appreciate mm-hmm. all the time and effort that went into it. And it's this reason that you know, scientists and politicians and artists tend to be drawn to watches in, of course, their own way. But I think it's because they can recognize the product of hard work and they know how to celebrate it. And so, you know, this experience of trying to make a watch probably was the best education in the world for becoming an even more serious watch enthusiast than you already were. Definitely so. I mean, you, you, you know, I, I, as I said, I've been doing it for eight years and I'm still learning, still learning uh, a lot. And uh, as you know, I'm learning after more than 20 years. After two years, you think you know a lot. And then after eight years, you know, you, you don't know anything. <laughs> I, I, I would say that probably 2001 is when I started being a watch collector. I mean, I liked watches before that, but like a watch collector. And I am regularly outstanding at how little I know. I mean, I know more than most people. I I guess I'm technically a world's authority on a lot of this stuff. But Mm -hmm. there's so much about how things are made, why it's made, how watches work, let alone the history and the crazy catalog of every timepiece that was made. This is is sort of like a completionist's nightmare because it attracts people like us that like to understand everything. But it teases us because we can never truly understand it all. Uh, yeah, and talk about crazy. We haven't even gone there. We have shop and brand, which I think. Oh, and we have. And, okay, so obviously, Frederick Chopin, the composer from the 19th century, Polish guy, and now a watch brand. Yeah, so that's, that's uh, I blame, I blame Basel World for Chopin. Uh, <laughs> so uh, when we were developing, uh, when we were developing Bonia, as I mentioned, it took us two years to make our first prototype. But we, we started going to Basel every year, first of all, to, to find companies that would work with us because, you know, uh, no one would take us seriously if we just wrote them an email. Uh, when you're a, talking about like buying movements and suppliers and stuff like that? Exactly. Exactly so. Uh, we didn't have anyone to learn from, so we couldn't just, you know, go to the Polish Watch Producers Guild or something and ask them, does it make sense to make, uh, you know, to look for uh, a certain type of movement or what we could, uh, what we could make. Uh, so you needed advice and guidance and mentorship in addition to actual stuff. Exactly. So, so, so we basically went to Basel every year and, and walked around the booths scared of everyone <laughs> and asked people, you know, I, we, we, we don't have a watch brand yet and we basically have some drawings <laughs> and we don't have the rights to Bonia yet, 
but we're very serious about this. So, you know, a lot of people would just say, guys, don't, don't waste our time. Uh, but uh, we've, we found a few, a few partners. Uh, we were treated very well by Miyota, for example, of course, the, okay. the Japanese movement producer, and which is why some we of your Some of your, your more basic mechanical watches contain Miyota movements. Exactly. And, and, and our first watch was based on a Miyota movement in a way, uh, also because of, of how they treated us. They, they treated us with a lot of respect and, they, and we built a business relationship with them. And in Basel world, in the Swiss watch industry, that is a valuable commodity. Definitely so. So by 2014, 2016, we, we, we were already producing our first Borneo watches, but we were also very, very hungry. We, we went into, into Basel world, uh, as, I, as I said, every year. And we would look at all these independents and look at, you know, uh, Urban Jungsen and, 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 and already since we, we were slowly getting into the industry, recognize how far behind we were when it comes to finishing, when it comes to every aspect of our watches. We are at a very different price level. So Basel uh, was like this humbling experience where you saw watches that you would love to make. Yeah. But just they seem so far away. Uh, I mean, my mind was blown every time I went to Basel. Uh, yeah. uh, first time I saw Konstantin uh, Chaikin's watches, I, I stayed at that booth for, I don't know, four hours. Yeah, he's great. Uh, or uh, uh, Ludov Ludovic Biard, I hope, that, I hope I said that correct. Balloward? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it was just a humbling experience, as, as you said. Yeah, beautiful stuff. But we also said, all right, so, so Boigne is producing these watches. We, we, we make uh, several, uh, we make over a thousand watches uh, a year altogether with, with Jamishnitra, as I, as I mentioned, produced in the lowest quantity, but, but our other lines, we, we create quite a few watches. We want to, but, but these are slowly, uh, we are slowly understanding that there's a lot more to watchmaking and that it would be great to make a watch that, uh, I guess, I want to say would suit our tastes, but but would be something that would be you know legendary, <laughs> would be something that that would remain in Polish watchmaking history forever. Wow, that's and pretty wanted, that's pretty ambitious. So early on, isn't it? Yeah, over ambitious. Now, now, now I know. <laughs> but in those those days, you know, we we just came back from being applauded at the town hall of Bonnier and getting these rights and producing our first watches, which were sold out. Right. So we were on top of the world. We thought we could do everything when it comes to watchmaking. <laughs> so um, we decided that we want to make a, a high-end Bologna watch. That was the idea. Okay. And uh, looking for inspiration. Uh, Grand some, Bologna? Yeah, yeah. Uh, under, the brand, under the Bologna brand still. And looking for inspirations, we, we thought, all right, what could we base uh, our watch of that is world known that is synonymous with quality that is something that we can uh, write a story around and of course we thought of Chopin uh, who is well the, the most well-known pole and and one that doesn't have you know any negative connotations uh, so, so wait the most well-known peaceful Polish person in the world was Chopin I think so. Yeah, that's 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 what we uh, that's what we think. <laughs> no, I, I I'm not disagreeing. I'm like I'm just thinking about myself. You'd obviously know more than me as a Polish person, 
But that's okay. I, I guess. Who, who, who else would you? Who else would you say? I've never thought of the calculus. I've never, you know, I just never thought about it. I, 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 I you just think that in the last hundred fifty years there might have been one other person. Well, there's, there's, there's the Pope John Paul, but you can't okay. really make, make a watch around John John Paul II. I mean, the Pope watch. I know that's yeah. kind of weird. It have and a weird we have, hat, right? Uh, like Valenza, so the the leader, the leader of Solidarity, the Solidarity movement. Okay, right. But uh, but you know, also not so much something that you can make. Didn't, a watch didn't the Unabomber have a Polish last name? <laughs> perhaps <laughs> Ted Kaczynski, I think it was. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to make a watch around him. Okay, Chopin, it is. So uh, we we went back and started uh, looking at rights again. So uh, actually, Chopin is considered uh, a national treasure in Poland and is protected uh -huh. by a dedicated bill of law. So, uh, very, but you have very... political experience now. You convinced the small town. Now you get to go to the parliament. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't put Chopin on anything in Poland without uh, without the the rights to do so. And there's actually the National Institute of Frederick Chopin, which protects the Chopin name. So they ensure that anything with the Chopin name is the right quality, has the right values, and of course is aesthetically pleasing. So we approached them, and uh, in the end, after long negotiations, long story short, we acquired the international rights to uh, to the Chopin name. So uh, no one else can produce a Chopin watch. So you, uh, so let me get this straight, Michael. You hate it when anybody says no to you ever. Well, <laughs> I, I think that would be a part of a psychological podcast that I, I don't think I'm ready for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's. I'm just. I, I'm sensing certain. Uh, you know, trends. It's good. It's good stuff. But I, I, I ask myself. People have to ask themselves. Why do people make some of these watches? And oftentimes, the answer is because someone told them they could not. This is actually the reason why so many crazy watches and brands mm. come out is because somebody told somebody, hey, I don't think you could do it. And then in this instant, Michael's like, no, I can. Yeah, everyone told us we couldn't do it. Right? And then you said like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we went back to Basel the next year, knowing that we're going to make a Chopin watch and, and knowing that it, it wasn't going to be a Bonnier Chopin watch because having the rights, we could, we could basically create a, a, a new brand. And we approached some independent manufacturers, including uh, Schwarz Etienne, and we really kicked it off with them straight away. I mean, there were also two two other companies that that yeah, they're a nice team. Were, they're a nice team. We were, were we were in talks with, but you know, with them it was just we understood each other so well straight away. And again, they treated us seriously, which 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 was great. And we started working on the Chopin project with them, and that took two years as well. Uh, we got uh, Antoine Chumi involved, who is um, who is uh, a designer from Neodesi Studio. He works with a lot of a lot of big yeah, names. Yeah, I'm, fami I'm familiar with the name. Definitely familiar with the name. And uh, and we created the Chopin Opus 10 Number no. 12, which is basically a watch inspired by the revolutionary uh, etude. So I love the power reserve indicator that has like the piano keys. And I'm wondering, are you ever going to make, you know, what everyone's asking is the music box watch? Perhaps. <laughs> You're working. Okay. I, I had a feeling, Perhaps you know, look, if Jacob and company can do it, so can Chopin. 
<laughs> uh, I'm, I'm starting to learn my limits, but perhaps a repeater would be something that uh, that we would uh, we would uh, consider and that we've been talking about for some for some time. I mean, definitely this was a project that uh, uh, that we were over our heads in. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. this a project that cost us four times more than we anticipated. Uh, at, at the beginning, so four hundred percent. Wait, wait, wait. So you said that they cost you more than you anticipated. Where did you get this initial number from? I'm just curious. Uh, our experience, our experience <laughs> producing Borneo watches. Okay, okay. No, it's 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 a fair question, right? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, here 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 comes the the problem that we had with perfectionism, I guess, and uh, at the beginning. We could we could kick out a watch with Schwarzetien, I guess, in half a year. Uh, in half a year, you know, if we just took uh, either a catalog case or or just made some changes to the case, did a did a closed case back, or just uh, just did some different finishing on the Schwarzetien movement. But um, we really wanted to go very deep into Chopin's story, and we really wanted the watch to to actually tell the story of Chopin and, and his life around the period in which he wrote the revolutionary attitude. So we went into so much detail and we had so many ideas I'm sure. that uh, creating them just took two years. I mean, we created uh, a red-plated balance wheel, which as far as I know, no one no one has done before. It's a cool... What, what, what is the significance of red to Chopin? Maybe I don't know. It, well, it's his heart. Uh, his oh, heart I see. Is, so the, the beating heart of Chopin, represented by the balance wheel. As per his will, he's buried in, in, in Paris. However, as soon as he died, his heart was taken out of his chest, placed in, in what we think is cognac, and transported to Warsaw and is here in, in the old town in a church. Was that a common thing to do, or was he a particularly eccentric individual? No, Chopin was very eccentric. Chopin was okay. incredibly eccentric, and, and very very often, I, I don't know how familiar you are with Chopin, but uh, due to his music being quite sensitive, uh, and, and he's, he, he was quite sickly as well, uh, he was not someone of strong health, Throughout uh, throughout his life, which is why he died uh, quite early, he's presented as this sort of very sensitive and, and and perhaps even weak character, which is very very wrong. He was very eccentric. He was someone that would go to a party and play for eight hours and then faint at the at the piano out of exhaustion. He would party all the time. He would uh, write very strong worded commentaries, uh, you know, to his rivals and so on. He, he was, he, he so was actually, he was a, he was like a rapper. Uh, yeah, I, I guess he was, <laughs> someone's going to hate me for this. <laughs> perhaps, <laughs> perhaps he was, you know, in, uh, in a relationship with, with someone that we can call, you know, the Kim Kardashian of those days. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He because partied he, all the time. He was belligerent. He started feuds. Yeah. He had crazy ideas about where his body needed to be after he died. He sounds like a rock star, rapper, whatever he, you want to call it. He was a rock star. I mean, he was a relationship with George Sand, who was uh, who was the uh, one of the she was the most eccentric woman uh, of of those times. 
Wow. Uh, she, 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 uh, she took like a man's name and, and wrote books in England and, and she was, she was considered the most <laughs> eccentric woman in, in France and England at the time. And, and they were in a relationship together and they had, you know, all these crazy, crazy ideas. So I, I really, uh, recommend reading, uh, Chopin's biography. There's, there's so many things, uh, that are really cool. That, no, <laughs> I, look, I, I try to read as much as I can. That sounds like an excellent, uh, excellent idea. Cause he's sounding like he was cool and crazy. Like, uh, so did he die young? What was it? 27. That was the age that a lot of the famous rock stars in the 20th century died, like Jim Morrison and stuff like that. Like, was he that young? Uh, let me, let me try to remember. He was born in, uh, 1810, died in 1849. So he was, he was 39. Okay. So I guess they didn't have as many hard drugs back then, but you know. <laughs> well, we didn't have the internet at that time. So, so we don't really know how crazy Chopin was, but by, I, no, I did you need to take a test? You know, cause it people. sounds like to be able to produce the Chopin watch, you need to know all this information about it to impress you know, I don't know the government people. Like, how much did you have to learn about Chopin? A lot. I, I read a lot of books about Chopin. However, the National Institute was a big help. I mean, we have people there who have been learning about Chopin for, for 50 or 60 years. So they were a huge, huge help. And we had access to to, to their museum. So, so we actually had access to Chopin's original pocket watch, which he received as, as a child. The only watch we know Chopin. Uh, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We they actually found uh, a carriage watch, a carriage watch. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. That okay. Chopin owned as well a few years back, so that's that's also very. It's like cool. a little travel clock, kind yeah, of, right? Yeah. So perhaps hinting at something that we'll do in the future. No, <laughs> but uh, you make yeah, it like so a we, pendant. It's like a tiny travel clock. It's like a pendant that goes around your neck for the rappers. <laughs> It's actually quite, it's not that small. It's like uh, 30 centimeters in, in height and 10 centimeters across. So it's, well, it's, it's, after that, do a smaller one you can wear around your neck. Oh, okay. Like the little lantern. It won't It won't be round. It'll be like the little, again, it looks like a little lantern. I don't know how to say it, like a little box. That Start a new trend. Put Perhaps. some diamonds on it. <laughs> Maybe include a music box in the bottom of it, just saying. Well, well, with with Chopin, you know, we have a lot of people who are who are very passionate about that about Chopin. So, you know, we have Frederick Chopin's hair here. We have his death mask. We have all these <laughs> death letters. Death mask, so gruesome. <laughs> Do you have the heart? Do you have the the brandy the brandied heart? Well, it's in a church. Okay. We, it's it's in, it's in a church. But but what we could what. what we had access to, as I said, people who, who are learning about Chopin for 50 years and so on. So when we approached them and we said, guys, uh, we, we're going to make a box. We don't want it to be, you know, a piano finished box because that would be uh, too obvious. And also we know that in Chopin's times, you know, pianos were not finished like that. They were not finished to a high polish uh, as, as we think about piano finish now. Right. So, so tell us how we should make this box inspire us. And they would go through Chopin's letters and they're like, okay, so in the time of the revolutionary etude, he stayed at the Poissonnaire house in Paris. And there in one of his letters, he wrote about how in, in, in the room he has mahogany for furniture and how that influences him so well. So we're like, okay, so mahogany it is. <laughs> That's cool. 
So, so we tried to make every aspect, you know, as much about Chopin as. So you as started a brand for the ultimate Chopin enthusiast. Uh, that's right, and I mean, uh, where we sell these watches reflects that because uh, we sell we sell uh, most of our watches outside outside of Poland are bought in Japan. And I believe which is, that, which is, which is uh, a place they love Chopin. I mean, look, Japan is my favorite market on the planet for watches. I I go to Japan. They have the watches I like. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about my taste in Japanese. It's like there's a very similar taste I like. So many brands, like 80% of their sales or more come from Japan. I mean, I don't know that everyone appreciates in the watch industry just how important uh, today and historically the Japanese market has been. It is, it is an amazing thing. Definitely a, a market that we like to focus, we like to focus on. And uh, since... The watch tells the story of Chopin uh, in a lot of detail. The, the, the consumers there really appreciate it. And since it's finished to the standard of Schwarz Etienne, you know, it, it just works well. Yeah. Um, Michael, we're almost out of time, but I didn't want to forget talking about the the video game or the computer game watch that you did that was Bonnier and uh, CD Projekt Red, yeah. which for those that don't know is a Polish uh, software developer. They're um, a pretty serious company that makes um, pretty famous computer games, and they recently came out with the latest installation of Cyberpunk, which is Cyberpunk uh, 2077. And you did an interesting thing. You did a watch with them that's sort of um, more futuristic and has, mm-hmm. I think it was um, some some relationship with NFTs. I'm not sure exactly, but mm-hmm. why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Well, CD Projekt is is uh, Poland's largest privately owned company. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. They they produced uh, the Witcher series, as as you said, it was a very big success uh, of games, and their their new installment was the Cyberpunk game. And uh, very similarly to to what I do, <laughs> knowing that they're going to release the game in a, a year a year before they released it. I sat down and said, wouldn't it be really cool if we made a watch with them? And uh, similarly, I knew we couldn't just approach them uh, with an idea to make to just make a watch. But uh, I sat down and, and looked for inspiration. And of course, uh, I, I really like uh, the Bulova Computron. I really like the Girard Peugeot uh, casquette. Yeah. And I thought that would, be, that would be something that would be very much in place in the cyberpunk world. Yeah, I can see that. A, a, a mix of. So, are you are you a gamer? Uh, I like games, but but more vintage games. You know, like you know uh, that means that means you're you're as an adult you're too busy, but you wish you had time, just like me. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly correct. <laughs> uh, so we drew up a watch uh, that we thought would be in place in in the cyberpunk game. That would be something that from from what we saw from the game trailers and information that was publicly available, we thought that this could be a watch that, you know, the main character or, or someone there could wear. And we basically approached them through, uh, through, through some mutual friends and said, guys, this is a watch that we think would be really, really cool. Uh, and they loved it. They loved it. Of course, they had a lot of input into it because uh, they didn't like some things, they liked some other things, and we worked on the watch together. And in the end, created a, a titanium watch that actually is is probably the watch I wear most often at the moment. It's a great. It's a, it's a, neat, it's a neat looking watch. Now, what's funny is that 
this is actually a s- exact same type of design exercise I did. I don't know if you're familiar, but I I worked with Lo- Loco mm-hmm. a few years ago to come out with a watch called the Radox. Me and 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 um, my the designer Matt. Yes, yes. So you know you're familiar with it. I'm familiar with it. I've been hunting for one for some time. I really like it. <laughs> oh, I I only have my one. Um, I didn't. Yeah, that, but but yeah. So same exact type of situation where I wanted to imagine a watch that would be worn by the character in in a video game. Uh, I think it's a really cool exercise, and I know exactly the watch you're talking about because I'm a big Fallout fan. And uh, Wait, did you what? know I was associated with that? I did not know that. I yeah, that's my, that was my concept. I I, I, that's me. That's all oh, me. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 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 it, it's a really cool watch, and it's a very similar exercise. Uh, and and we tried to put some some kind of spin on it, uh, and that's where the NFTs come in because uh, we we basically wanted the watch to be in some form connected with the game or the digital ecosystem of cyberpunk, and uh, in the end. Uh, we don't have a digital twin in a game for, for, for various reasons that, that we won't go into right now. However, in the end, what the NFT is, is basically your certificate of authenticity. So uh, instead of having a regular card in box, you basically claim ownership of the watch once you receive it with a QR code. And if you ever sell it, you can basically transfer that certificate, which is, which is an NFT. You'll have to agree with me that the next step would be to connect um, connect it with a fingerprint on the watch. Because as it is right now, there's a like a credit card, which I believe has um, an NFC chip in it, and that's what connects to you know the NFT. But isn't the isn't the ultimate thing to have it in the watch itself? I mean, for me, the ultimate thing would be for the for you to own the watch physically, and then the character in game to have that watch. That would be my dream. I mean, and the only way to to get that watch on your character would be to physically own it. I, that's I think it, that that's would... you know what for the whole yeah I can see that that's a good thing because you're right because why would somebody spend the money real money on an asset in a digital sense that loses value once you stop using that world you know it's like I know a lot about how uh, you know, popular games like League of Legends and things like that make money now and it's through these cosmetic purchases, but these assets lose value once you stop playing the game. I think that you can increase the value of a real-world product by giving it a digital twin as opposed to just having a digital asset and hoping that it'll be treated as a luxury item. I, I think I think that's the way to go. And in the end, if you, if you can smart. verify authenticity, and in the end, if you can give, I don't know, in-game bonuses with these kind of items, and it can be anything. It can be like a, your favorite cup <laughs> or whatever that you have physically, and then it, it gives you something in-game. I really think that... So the new fraud will be people that have things in-game but not in the real world. That will be like the new the new fraud that people will try to attempt. I guess so. I mean, you can always transfer the NFT without without the watch. However, that would, that would kind of lose sense because then you wouldn't be able to sell the watch without the certificate of authenticity. Yeah, but like, l- look, let's say, you know, let's look at what Facebook is doing with the metaverse, as they call it, which was attempted many times before. It's been talked about since the 90s and they had mm-hmm. Second Life and things like that. Again, it's nothing new, but they're trying it again. They're excited about the idea that they get to own a digital world and they get to be, you know, property masters in this digital world. And 
this is the this is the behavior they want. They want people to go into these environments, buy and sell property, buy and sell goods, engage in commerce. Um, like this is this is essentially what's coming. I mean, we, there's going to be an awful lot of this, and people are going to have to ask themselves. Now, I had to buy things for my real life, and now I have to buy things for my you know my my digital life. But in that digital world, I guess my point is that there will be status associated with that. When you see somebody in there that has a Ferrari with their avatar and you know that at least they're supposed to have a Ferrari in real life, that's that's a status element there. And so there's going to be a show-off culture and a fraud culture and a mimicry culture in the digital sense, just like there is in the real world. Yeah, I mean, look look how important bragging rights are in, in, in watch purchasing right now and in, in Instagram culture. I think that's very, very, very similar. Yeah, it's 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 exactly that, um, Michael. We're 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 quite over time because I was having okay. such a wonderful conversation with you. But I just sort of want to wrap things up right now. We'll definitely have to have more conversations. Um, the websites um, that you want to look at are going to be uh, it. Well, it's spelled B L O N I E. We've been saying it the proper way, Bonnie. But uh, for people that are spelling it online, is B L O. N-I-E. And then we have Chopin watches as well. Um, Michael Dunnan, thank you so much for being on this episode of Superlative. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Are there any other places people should go? Because um, I know you might have some other things you want to plug. Uh, to be honest, uh, no. It would be awesome if they visited our, our website. If they can read uh, read Polish or, or are inter- interested in the, in the children's book, we usually uh, send that uh, send that out with with watch purchases. We think it's really cool. So, so wonderful. Yeah, just just check us out. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at ablogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com.